Hey guys, happy new year and welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 46 and uh, we're recording here on January 8th, 2023. This podcast is for entertainment only and it's not investing advice. So please, please do your own homework. Well, once again, Happy New Year. Took a took a break uh, for the last couple of weeks. Uh, had a very nice vacation in Costa Rica, and um, it's very enjoyable. Didn't really do much. Um, no work. No podcast. No blog. Just uh, I did read the Bitcoin. Uh, sorry, the um, the Fiat Standard, which is the companion book to the Bitcoin Standard, which. Uh, during the break, which was fantastic. Highly recommend it. Uh, and I also read the uh, latest issue of the Bitcoin magazine, uh, which I, I got like a free copy because I went to the Bitcoin conference uh, in L- up in LA that um, Swan Bitcoin sponsored. And it was quite good. So I uh, can also recommend that as well if you're interested. Um, all right, so um, jumping right in here, we'll have a market update and an outlook. Uh, we'll get into Bitcoin news. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about a couple things that are brewing that have potential downside risk to the Bitcoin price that are as yet unresolved, even after all of the bad news that's already come out uh, as a result of FTX and Celsius and Three Arrows Capital and all the other crypto debacles that have uh, imploded. Um, And that's really the Genesis digital currency group issues and then also Binance. Um, We'll talk a little bit uh, or hear a little bit more from Robert Kiyosaki, which I always like. And then uh, we'll talk a little bit about El Salvador's Bitcoin strategy. And then finish up with the theft of Bitcoin from the Bitcoin. Bitcoin Core developer, uh, what that was all about, and then um, talk a little bit about Bitcoin security, which is um, something that I posted on earlier this week in response to that, uh, and I'll again have links um, in the show notes to all of that. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Uh, stocks closed out the first week of 2023 in a rally mode while U.S. Treasury yields and the dollar fell sharply after December's employment report showed strong hiring and a historically low jobless rate combined with cooling wage growth, and the Institute for Supply Management Services gauge showed a greater than expected slowdown. While headline jobs numbers pointed to ongoing strength in the labor market, the report also included signs of potential softening, including slowing wage growth. This opened the door for some bargain hunting trades. Investors seized upon the data as indicating the Federal Reserve's rate hikes may be succeeding and slowing the economy. And a sense that the central bank may not be able to take its target rate range for the Fed funds much higher before it decides to hit the pause button. The Dow Jones average surged 700 points and the S&P 500 added 87 on Friday, the best showing for the two benchmark indices since November 30th, and rising 1.5% for the week to snap a four-week run of losses. The Nasdaq jumped 264 points on Friday while advancing 1% for the week. Um, 
looking ahead here, uh, inflation will be in the spotlight next week with the CPI report um, for December due out on January 12th. The headline consumer price index reading for December is expected to cool to 6.7% from 7.1% in November and be up 0.1% on a month over month comparison. Core CPI is forecast to be up 5.6% and up 0.2% month over month. Bank of America expects both core goods and energy prices to have declined again in December, but food inflation and core services inflation to have remained stickier. Oh, and by the way, uh, Cardi B has a viral video that's going around where she's talking about groceries, and it's hilarious if you want to search that up. The focus from market watchers will be if the CPI update alters the consensus view that the Federal Reserve will hike interest rates by 50 points in February and another 25 points in March before going on hold at a terminal rate of 5% to 5.25%. The corporate calendar will have its first busy week of the year with the ICR conference in Orlando and JP Morgan Healthcare Conference in San Francisco. Expected to see waves of earnings pre-announcements and guidance updates. Meanwhile, the earnings season officially kicks off on Friday with major banks and financial institutions stepping into the earnings confessional. Wells Fargo, JP Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, Citigroup, and PNC Financial Services Group are all scheduled to release quarterly results. Also watch the airline sector with monthly traffic reports due in and airline, Delta Airlines to lead off the earnings season at the end of the week. So uh, there'll be a lot going on. I think uh, the chief equity strategist over at Morgan Stanley um, thinks that uh, this is the time where a lot of companies are going to uh, reduce their guidance for the year. Uh, probably report disappointing earnings for last year, et cetera, um, uh, which will be a result of, again, rising costs and, you know, lower uh, sales, et cetera. Um, and so, um, you know, he's predicting, I guess, that the market's got more downside uh, before it bottoms, uh, probably in the middle of next year. Um a lot of people are thinking that a lot of people are thinking that the bottom's already in so you know i think it just you have to kind of find your own approach but it seems like it's probably better to stay conservatively positioned um you know uh and wait and see what happens over the coming months before jumping in and um into stocks uh or really anything other than i think uh gold or bitcoin or silver right now um uh until we have better information but that's just my thoughts based on everything i'm reading and and everything and that uh seems to be happening could be wrong have been wrong um but uh, i'd rather hold a lot of cash right now and have some uh some money at work but not not a lot uh at this moment it's certainly in stocks um, till, till we have better, I guess, better confirmation that, uh, things are looking at, which again, probably won't be for a little while, or at least until the, and even after the Fed pivots, honestly, it's, you know, uh, if you go back into history and you look at what's happened in the past, like in the 2008 financial crisis, 
real estate market, stock market continue to decline after the Fed pivoted and because it takes time in order for those those uh, measures to, to affect the market, just like all the raising of rates hasn't really yet affected the markets because it, it all works with a lag and that's important to understand. And so even when the Fed says they're going to pivot, the market might go up immediately after that and then continue to decline further until it finds its bottom because the effect of that that policy move won't be felt for six to nine months to even 12 months later. The one data point I was listening to, uh, I think it was George Gannon, or maybe it was uh, maybe it was a different podcast, but talking about how uh, you know Lehman Brothers failed in, in the global in the great global financial crisis uh, a year after the Fed pivoted. So that you know that tells you all you need to know. Okay, moving on to Bitcoin news. So the first thing we want to talk about is sort of this Genesis uh, digital uh, currency group issue um, where they've basically uh, frozen uh, withdrawals. Uh, they're not paying uh, interest on the coins that they've borrowed. Uh, and uh, uh, they're you know having some issues with some of their customers. In fact, Gem uh, Gemini, which is, you know, a, crypto exchange that had a lot of their customers' money in those products has been quite vocal. And so, um, you know, whatever ends up happening with Genesis and Digital uh, Currency Group will probably have an impact on the price of Bitcoin and everything else for that matter. Uh, if there's Bitcoin that needs to be liquidated on their balance sheet, which again, we're not sure when you look at FTX, it was quite interesting. They had no Bitcoin to sell, really. They just had huge Bitcoin liabilities, which means they were creating paper Bitcoin. Um, so there's, if, when there's nothing to sell, there's no effect on the price. But it is it's troubling to see that there's that much paper Bitcoin out there, uh, which tends to, you know, can suppress the price, I guess, because it can manipulate. But anyway, uh, jumping right into this, then this is an article from uh, Coindesk. <clears throat> this was posted on January 2nd. Gemini co-founder accuses DCG's Silbert of bad faith stalling in 900 million lock funds dispute. Co-founder of crypto exchange Gemini has accused digital currency group CEO Barry Silbert of bad faith stall tactics as their respective companies lock horns over a business disagreement precipitated by FTX's multi-billion dollar implosion late last year. Cameron Winklevoss blasted Silbert in an open letter posted to Twitter <clears throat> alleging crypto broker Genesis Global Capital and its parent company DCG Oh, Gemini's clients $900 million. The letter alleges Gemini has awaited word on a repayment agreement for six weeks to no avail. DCG is also Coindesk's parent company. Silbert responded tweeting that DCG delivered to Genesis and Gemini's advisors a proposal on December 29, 2022 and has not had any response. Winklevoss also accused DCG CEO Barry Silbert of using $1.675 billion in money Winklevoss claimed DCG owes Genesis and using it for purposes that helped other DCG ventures instead of repaying creditors. 
you took this money, the money of school teachers, to, to fuel greedy share buybacks, illiquid venture investments, and kamikaze grayscale NAV trades that ballooned the fee-generating AUM of your trust, all at the expense of creditors and all for your own personal gain. Silbert responded, tweeting that DCG did not borrow $1.675 billion from Genesis. He also said DCG has never missed an interest payment to Genesis and is current on all loans outstanding. DCG does have a $1.1 billion promissory note related to liabilities from Genesis related to the Three Arrows capital default. And in November, Silbert wrote in a note to shareholders that DCG had a roughly $575 million liability to Genesis Global that is due this May. Gemini Trust Company, which is co-owned by Winklevoss and his twin brother Tyler, paused redemptions on an interest-earning product called Earn in mid-November, a week after rival crypto exchange FTX filed for bankruptcy. The product offered investors opportunities to yield as much as 8% interest on their crypto by lending those digital tokens out to Genesis. Gemini's redemption pause came on the heels of Genesis' announcement that its derivatives business had roughly $175 million locked on now insolvent FTX's platform. Genesis halted withdrawals and suspended new loan originations when FTX filed for bankruptcy. Since then, creditors to Genesis are working with restructuring lawyers to prevent insolvency. Winklevoss's letter comes as his company faces major financial headwinds, including a lawsuit against the firm's earned product alleging fraud and securities law violation and a mob of angry earned customers who have been unable to access their accounts. Neither Winklevoss nor Silbert responded to requests for further comment. So this is again is an example of another potential shoe to drop. Uh, we have an exchange here, um, Gemini, that's in trouble because their funds are locked on bankrupt FTX uh, portfolio and, and significantly more funds um, on Genesis, which are, you know, not, you know, um, essentially frozen and lots of accusations going back and forth. So um, digging a little bit deeper into this, uh, there's an uh, article from a site called Payments. This is dated January 4th, entitled Genesis Tells Clients It's Working to Preserve Assets. Genesis told clients it needs more time to fix its borrowing and lending intermediation business. We remain focused on finding a solution for our borrowing and lending intermediation business and reaching the best outcome for all affected clients. Genesis Global Capital Interim CEO Darar Islam said in a Wednesday, January 4th letter, adding that the company continues to work with advisors to evaluate options to preserve client assets and move the business forward. While we're committed to moving as quickly as possible, this is a very complex process that will take some additional time, Islam said in the letter. Genesis announced that in November that it was pausing withdrawals from its lending arm as a result of unprecedented market turmoil. Its trading arm, Genesis Trading, disclosed at the time that it had $175 million in funds locked in its FTX trading account the lender was seeking a fresh capital injection of nearly $1 billion for its lending unit to help weather the turmoil of FTX's demise. More than 130 FTX group companies filed for bankruptcy protection in November. The parent company of Genesis Digital Currency Group stepped, to, stepped in to provide Genesis with $140 million in equity 
In early December, it was reported that Genesis owes $900 million to Gemini and the co-founders and brothers Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss were trying to recover the funds. Genesis was the main partner in Gemini's Earn program where retail investors lent out cryptocurrency and get a fixed stream of returns. Gemini halted withdrawals from the program in November after Genesis said it lacked the liquidity to cover its redemption request. In his Wednesday letter to clients, Islam said that Genesis derivatives and spot trading businesses remain fully operational. He added that the company continues to refine its business plans for its client offerings and has reduced costs and driven efficiencies in all of its business lines. We believe our continued focus on further sharpening our business will move us in the right direction as we begin the new year, as well as providing more options for working out the lending business, Islam said in the letter. Uh, and then at the same time, well, not at the same time, but uh, this was posted on January 5th, uh, CNBC reports crypto lender Genesis Trading lays off 30% of workforce. Genesis Trading, the embattled crypto lending arm of Barry Silbert's digital currency group, has cut headcount by 30% as it faces increasing pressure from creditors and the looming threat of bankruptcy, according to a person with knowledge of the matter. Genesis had already laid off 20% of its workforce and last year replaced its CEO. Silbert's crypto conglomerate, which includes the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust and mining company Foundry, was hit by the market tumult of 2022 and the bankruptcy of crypto hedge fund Three Arrows Capital. About 60 positions were eliminated, said the source, who asked not to be named because the numbers are confidential. The company now has around 145 employees. The latest reduction comes a day after interim CEO Darar Islam told clients that Genesis needed more time to solve its financial crisis. The Wall Street Journal reported earlier on the cuts. Genesis engaged bankruptcy professionals shortly after the collapse of crypto exchange FTX and its sister hedge fund Alameda Research. The Wall Street Journal reported that Genesis had sought an emergency loan of $1 billion shortly after the implosion of Alameda, which was a major Genesis client. Genesis froze redemptions for all clients after FTX filed for bankruptcy protection on November 11th. Silbert has come under fire as a result of the redemption freeze. Earlier this week, Cameron Winklevoss, a Genesis client and CEO of crypto exchange Gemini, accused Silbert of engaging in bad faith, stalling tactics, and demanded a solution to the liquidity crisis at Genesis. He said DCG owes $1.675 billion to Gemini customers and other Genesis creditors. Silbert responded on Twitter by saying DCG never borrowed $1.675 billion from Genesis and is current on all loans outstanding. So, as you can see um, from all this, um, the Genesis DCG thing is uh, still very much unresolved. And, um, uh, you know, if it ends in the bankruptcy of um, Genesis DCG and even Gemini, that's for sure going to put more downward pressure on the price of Bitcoin, uh, even if they're not liquidating Bitcoin because they don't hold any on their balance sheet because they were short. I mean, that's what a lot of these guys were doing anyway, as they were shorting Bitcoin. So they were um, basically, you know, they have Bitcoin liabilities on their balance sheet, not Bitcoin assets. If they were long, they would have Bitcoin assets. They'd either, have, they'd either be holding Bitcoin or they'd have 
contracts, you know, uh, forward contracts to buy Bitcoin. Problem is, is that, you know, if you're a retail lender, you know, and I was in one of these things, I had a, uh, an account with digital asset group that was in the earn program with, uh, with, um, uh, uh, Genesis, they, they were the counterparty. Um, and they were paying, I don't know, 2%. So they would, you would basically put your Bitcoin with them. They would then give you 2% Bitcoin, you know, every month. And then they would take that Bitcoin and then loan it to someone else for, I don't know, 5%, 10%, whatever. And then they would earn the difference, right? Well, who did they lend it to? What did they do with your Bitcoin? Well, they probably loaned it to someone else. So they were probably loaning or they were trading with it. You know what I mean? And so maybe they, they're paying 8% to, to Genesis for the Bitcoin that Genesis is paying you 2% for. And then they're taking that Bitcoin and they're, um, you know, trading with it. So they, they, they basically just borrowed it. So they're only, they're only down the interest that they're paying. If Bitcoin goes up 10%, uh, then, and they sell it, they make a profit and then they can pay back the loan, obviously. Um, and so that, you know, and, and then this rehypothecation of the Bitcoin could happen multiple times. So if you could create, you know, you have several different, you know, a chain of, of Bitcoin transactions with your original Bitcoin. And, you know, all it takes is for the market to crash and then everybody defaults all the way down the chain and your Bitcoin's gone, obviously. Um, and it was it worth the 2%? Bitcoin itself doesn't have a yield. So you have to kind of get used to a different way of looking at things. You know, that it's, it's a, it's like gold doesn't have a yield either. It's an asset you hold to protect yourself against inflation. If you're earning a yield on it, then, um, as the joke goes, you're the yield. And so, um, so anyway, so this is what happens. And then, uh, then we get into kind of the next potential issue out there. Uh, to be alert to, and that's Binance. And so this article here is from uh, Coindesk, and it's dated uh, January 7th. This is pretty recent. Uh, U.S. investigators subpoena hedge funds in Binance money laundering probe. Federal prosecutors are investigating the relationship between Binance and U.S.-based hedge funds as part of a broader investigation into cryptocurrency exchanges' possible skirting of money laundering guardrails, according to a report by the Washington Post. Heading the investigation is the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Western District of Washington in Seattle, which in recent months has sent subpoenas to firms requesting records of their dealings with Binance. The Post reported citing two people who had reviewed one of the subpoenas. The subpoenas come at a time when Binance, the world's largest crypto exchange by daily trading volume, faces intense media and regulatory scrutiny over its business practices and financials. That scrutiny boiled over late last year in the wake of FTX's multi-billion dollar implosion, which rocked investor confidence in an increasingly turbulent and troubled crypto market. <clears throat> the subpoenas do not automatically mean authorities will bring charges against Binance or its founder and CEO, Changpeng CZ Zhao. The Post noted, as federal authorities are still discussing a potential settlement with Binance and are assessing 
whether the evidence they have is sufficient to bring charges. In past years, Binance acquired a reputation for circumventing regulations and finding legal loopholes to sustain its businesses, operations, and jurisdictions all over the world, according to legal experts who spoke to the Post. The company's previous lack of identification requirements raised concerns from lawmakers over the platform's role in money laundering, according to a former DOJ prosecutor quoted by the Post. Last year, a Reuters report cited evidence finance had been used as a hub for hackers, fraudsters, and drug traffickers with connections to the Russian-based dark web marketplace Hydra. The company's financials have also been deemed opaque by some. Last month, a representative from Nansen, a blockchain data analytics company, told Coindesk TV's first mover that there isn't much on-chain data or any kind of financial access or transparency into Binance's entities. Recently, Binance has made efforts to increase its commitment to compliance, growing its security and compliance staff by 500% in 2022. Additionally, last fall, the company assembled a global advisory board chaired by Max Baucus, a former Democratic senator from Montana. Meanwhile, the exchange seems eager to improve its relations with the U.S. government, recently becoming active in crypto lobbying in Washington, D.C. So, again, just just another troubling sign, I guess, uh, if the government really wants to go after them. Um, I think we all probably expect a lot more regulation in crypto and in crypto exchanges uh, as a result of the FTX collapse. Um, and, um, you know, disclosures for investors, uh, probably a, you know, a ban on, on initial token offerings uh, because those were basically like raising stock without any rules or disclosures um exchanges will have to be regulated probably um so you know uh binances if they still want to operate in the u.s which is a big market they're going to have to play along with that but uh it is troubling that the um uh the government's going after them and the u.s government's going after them and but again, they operate in lots of other places throughout the world. But obviously, the U.S. market is an important one to them. So we'll see how this plays out. Um, you know, will they collapse too? Don't know. If they do, for whatever reason, um, maybe Binance Coin goes to zero or something like that. Uh, and then they have, you know, margin calls and they end up having to file for bankruptcy like FTX did. Um they don't have to be committing fraud in order to have a you know, crisis of confidence. And then, um, you know, that could also, again, put more downward pressure on, on Bitcoin. So um, I think a lot of people are just cautious right now. Um, if you're dollar cost averaging, that's fine. But, uh, you know, it's probably good to, to wait and see what happens with these two major issues um, in terms of uh, how they resolve themselves and, what ends up happening with with the Bitcoin price. Obviously, if it goes lower, it's an opportunity to accumulate more. Um, if it goes up, then, oh, well, you were wrong. But um, so far, you know, Bitcoin seems to be trading pretty flat, uh, which is great for dollar cost averaging at these levels. Uh, moving on here, then, uh, this is from Crypto News. Uh, this was published on January 1st. Rich Dad, Poor Dad author, Robert Kiyosaki is buying more Bitcoin at current prices. 
Robert Kiyosaki, author of the best-selling personal finance book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, has revealed that he's acquiring more Bitcoin at current rates. In a Saturday tweet, Kiyosaki claimed that the Securities and Exchange Commission will crush most altcoins with its regulations, suggesting that this is why he's only bullish on Bitcoin at the moment. He said, I'm very excited about Bitcoin. Why? Because Bitcoin is classified as a commodity, much like gold, silver, and oil. Most crypto tokens are classified as a security, and SEC regulations will crush most of them. I'm buying more Bitcoin. In an interview with CNBC in early October, SEC Chair Gary Gensler reiterated his belief that Bitcoin is a commodity, while most other crypto tokens are securities. The law is clear on this. I believe based on the facts and circumstances, most of these tokens are securities, he said at the time. In mid-December, the SEC also classified FTT, the native token of the now-collapsed cryptocurrency exchange FTX, as a security in a complaint. The move stirred up speculations about whether other tokens of centralized exchanges are considered securities and what it could mean for those platforms. The agency noted that FTT was sold as an investment contract and benefited from a rise in demand for trading on FTX, such that any price increase in FTT would benefit holders of FTT equally and in direct proportion to their FTT holdings. It said the large allocation of tokens to FTX incentivized the FTX management team to take steps to attract more users onto the trading platform and therefore increase demand for and increase the trading price of the FTT token. Kiyosaki, who's been a Bitcoin advocate for a long time, said that last month that those who own gold, silver, and Bitcoin will get richer when the Federal Reserve, the Treasury, and Wall Street pivot and trillions of dollars are printed. Fake money savers will be the biggest losers, he said. In the wake of the FTX collapse, he said that Bitcoin may go as low as 10000 As the dust from the fallout settles, he added that the sell-off could see Bitcoin drop to ten dollars to $12,000, but he will use the opportunity to stock up more coins. Kiyosaki's Rich Dad. Poor Dad is a 1997 book that advocates the importance of financial literacy, financial independence, and building wealth through investing in assets, real estate investing, starting and owning businesses, as well as increasing one's financial intelligence. It has been on the New York Times bestseller list for over six years. And I've read it myself, and uh, and I I really like him. He's, he's a little crazy sometimes, but... Uh, you know, I think he's he's right on about this, um, what's coming. Okay, next up we have, uh, this is from Cointelegraph, published on January 6th. El Salvador's Bitcoin strategy evolved with the bear market in 2022. Cryptocurrency adoption has been on the rise in El Salvador in recent years, with the country becoming the first in the world to adopt Bitcoin as a legal tender. This landmark decision has attracted the attention of the global cryptocurrency community and has sparked discussions on the potential benefits and challenges of widespread adoption. El Salvador's controversial move with the cryptocurrency adoption would not have been possible if it was not due to President Najib Bukele, who garnered international attention after announcing the Bitcoin adoption plan and passed it into law. The legislation required all businesses within the country to accept Bitcoin as a form of payment for goods and services. As a legal tender, Bitcoin now has the same status as traditional fiat currencies, which worries other regulators, economic experts, and many everyday Salvadorans. The country's adoption of Bitcoin as a legal tender has made it easier for Salvadorans living abroad to send money back to their families in the country through remittances. 
Chivo wallet, the official wallet of the Salvadoran government, claimed to have onboarded 2.2 million Salvadorans a month after declaring Bitcoin as legal tender. This could potentially increase financial inclusion for these individuals who previously relied on cash transactions or informal financial services. Every user who successfully downloaded the app immediately received $30 in Bitcoin. However, this massive adoption was not as smooth as hoped as it was faced with numerous roadblocks, including missing funds, system issues, and disinterest from everyday citizens. Bukele also proposed the creation of a low-tax Bitcoin city at the base of the Conchagua volcano, which would power the city's infrastructure and crypto mining operations. The project would be funded through the sale of a billion dollars worth of bonds known as Bitcoin bonds or volcano bonds, which have an annual interest rate of 6.5% and are intended to be in effect for 10 years. The adoption of Bitcoin in El Salvador has generated a lot of interest and has the potential to pave the way for wider adoption of cryptocurrency in other countries, but it remains to be seen how this experiment will play out. El Salvador's decision to make Bitcoin legal tender has caused concern amongst its citizens due to the cryptocurrency's volatile nature and the uncertain success of the plan. While some parts of the implementation of Bitcoin as a legal tender went according to plan, many didn't which resulted in some unintended consequences. El Salvador's credit rating and ties with the International Monetary Fund have suffered as a result of Bitcoin adoption. Local borrowers have been forced to charge higher interest rates as investors have become less willing to lend to the nation. Moreover, due to the significant risks to financial and market integrity, financial stability, and consumer protection, the IMF advised El Salvador to revoke Bitcoin's legal tender status due to its volatility as well as its usage in fraud and other criminal activities. The World Bank has also raised worries about the negative environmental effects of cryptocurrencies that El Salvador's Bitcoin strategy has brought to light. The majority of Salvadorans still lack knowledge about Bitcoin despite promises of economic freedom and servicing the unbanked. Blockchain tech can be clunky from a user experience perspective and many find it easier to continue to transact in US dollars. Furthermore, El Salvador is a poor country with one of the lowest rates of internet use in the Americas. There are many vendors, street hawkers, and farmers who are not equipped to handle cryptocurrency transactions. Thus, the usage of Bitcoin for everyday transactions is low despite the government's big push. However, the decision to open up the economy to Bitcoin has managed to attract foreign investment to the country. Carlos G. Alfaro, technical sales manager at blockchain software firm Coibanks, told Cointelegraph, I have managed to meet several foreign investors who have come because of the Bitcoin law, but are not only investing in the blockchain industry, they're investing in different areas such as hotels, real estate, and franchise companies. Before the Bitcoin law, a large portion of Salvadorans lacked a mechanism to retain their money digitally and conduct transactions with one another. Hence, the project introduced many residents to the idea of savings and investments. And while participation and use of Bitcoin may remain relatively low among the populace. Alfaro stated that the $30 Bitcoin reward from the Chivo wallet has served as a catalyst to get citizens more interested in savings and investments, adding, I think that little by little, the average citizen is finding how to use it from having a small bank account, sending money between countries, both personally and with companies, being able to save a little and learning how investments work. The country's investment strategy has also become more moderate. The country has bought Bitcoin 11 times at different amounts and purchase prices based on tweets posted by Bukele himself. The latest such purchase was 80 Bitcoin for $1.5 million on June 30th, 2022. 
But now El Salvador is buying one Bitcoin per day using a dollar cost averaging strategy to minimize the impact of Bitcoin's volatility on the country's economy. Demand for Bitcoin in El Salvador is still present, and with the announced plans to build a Bitcoin city, the country hopes to continue to attract Bitcoin investors in the years to come. In 2023, El Salvador is expected to expand its administrative capacities for dealing with cryptocurrency use in its economy, including addressing any possible criminal activities, Guillermo Contreras, CEO of Ditto Banks, told Cointelegraph. In this sense, there has been a lot of openness, cooperation, and communication between the different government institutions and the companies that are operating under this heading. And now precisely this issue is being further consolidated with the opening of the National Bitcoin Office that will function as a central entity to deal with all issues related to it. The new digital assets issuance law, which will be implemented in 2023, permits the issuing of El Salvador's Bitcoin bonds to fund the infrastructure of the Bitcoin city and buy more Bitcoin. This law will also permit the development of blockchain-based business models in a controlled setting. El Salvador continues to take concrete steps so that Bitcoin will be incorporated into financial literacy programs across the country. In 2023, the country's Ministry of Education is expected to address educational concerns at a mass level with a training module in financial education that incorporates updated content such as cryptocurrencies and electronic wallets. Contreras concluded the implementation of Bitcoin and digital wallets allows more than 4 million people to safeguard their money, receive money from remittances and other sources safely and instantly. At the beginning, of course, there was a feeling of fear of the unknown, but fortunately El Salvador has also experienced something similar when we adopted the U.S. dollar as legal tender instead of the Salvadoran colonas. It is a process that took a bit of time, but finally users were able to confirm that it was real money, just like any other currency. And although there are still some challenges to overcome, the path is well marked and there's a good perspective. So this was a probably one of the most balanced articles that I've read on what's going on in El Salvador. Um, it does point out the negatives, but also the positives. And I think, uh, you know, uh, it's good to see um, that type of reporting. And I think, um, you know, obviously we wish El Salvador luck in the new year. Um, and um, they seem to be um, headed down the right path. Okay, and then the last article we're going to talk about is from Crypto News. This is uh, dated January 2nd. Uh, and uh, this is uh, entitled Original Bitcoin Core Developer Has Bitcoin Stolen from Wallet. This is what happened. So core Bitcoin developer Luke Dash Jr. has revealed that he has lost almost his entire stash of Bitcoin after his PGP pretty good privacy key was compromised just before the new year. In a Sunday tweet, the developer said his PGP key, a common security method that uses two keys to gain access to encrypted information, was somehow compromised by hackers, resulting in the theft of more than 200 bitcoins, worth over $3.5 million. In response to a Twitter user who asked Dash Jr. if he had any thoughts about how the attackers might have gained access to his key, he had, quote, no idea. Some in the crypto community pointed uh, to a possible connection with an earlier Twitter post from Dash Jr. on November 17th that noted that his server had been compromised by new malware backdoors on the system. However, the de developer couldn't verify that either. 
Meanwhile, Dash Jr. advised the Bitcoin community not to download Bitcoin Knots, a combined Bitcoin node and wallet that ensures Bitcoins you receive are both real and really yours until this issue is resolved. He said, do not download Bitcoin Knots and trust it until this is resolved. If you already did it in the last few months, consider shutting that system down for now. According to his LinkedIn profile, Luke Dash Jr. has been a Bitcoin core developer since 2011. He also reportedly has over 23 years of programming experience. In a comment, Binance CEO Changpeng CZ Zhao said he is saddened by the incident and offered support. He also mentioned that self-custody comes with certain risks as users need to protect their private keys from theft themselves. He wrote, Sorry to see you lose so much. Informed our security team to monitor. If it comes our way, we will freeze it. If there's anything else we can help with, please let us know. We deal with these often. We have law enforcement relationships worldwide. The incident once again ignited a debate around self-custody, which became a hot topic after the collapse of FTX last year. Joe Vizzani, the CEO of Lunar Crush, a platform that provides social listening analytics for cryptocurrency investors, claim that the loss is insignificant compared to billions lost to centralized exchanges. However, the crypto boss mentioned that the majority of self-custody losses are not reported. He added that not all crypto exchanges are FTX and not everyone in crypto is like Sam Bankman-Fried, the disgraced founder of the exchange. He said SBF does not equal all centralized exchanges as Madoff does not equal all stockbrokers. Uh, very interesting. Okay, so uh, moving along, then uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Bitcoin security. Um, my inspiration for this, again, was the tweet that Luke Dash Jr. sent out, and then uh, we just talked about it a little bit in this last article. Um, so uh, getting into security, then, here, here's uh, some of the most important things to remember when it comes to securing your Bitcoin and self-custody. Um, number one you should use a hardware wallet. Hardware wallets are physical devices that store your private keys offline, which makes them much more secure than software wallets, uh, which are, again, self-custody, but they're, but they're maintained online or on your phone or whatever. Example of a software wallet might be, you know, UnWallet or Strike or um, some of those other ones. Enable two-factor authentication on exchanges where you purchase Bitcoin or have collaborative custody arrangements. So this adds an extra layer of security to your wallet by requiring you to enter a code generated in an app in order to access your funds. Uh, number three is use strong, unique passwords. Make sure to use strong, unique passwords for your hardware wallet and any accounts associated with it. Avoid reusing passwords and consider using a password manager to generate and store your passwords. Number four is really important, keep your hardware wallet in a secure location. Don't leave it laying around. Make sure to store it in a secure location, like a safe or a lockbox. Number five, keep your software up to date. Make sure to regularly update the software on your hardware wallet to ensure you have the latest security fixes and features. Uh, number six, enable PIN code protection. Most hardware wallets allow you to set a PIN code that must be entered in order to access the device. Make sure to enable this feature and choose a strong PIN code. And then last but not least, number seven, don't share your private keys. Your private keys are keys to your Bitcoin. Make sure to keep them safe. Never share them with anyone. By following these best practices, you can help ensure your Bitcoin is secure in self-custody. Uh, and if you're interested, I wrote a, a, a 
extensive post on security a few months ago, and I put a link in the uh, article uh, that I'll also link in the show notes. Bottom line is, uh, you know, uh, although there was a lot of drama about this on Bitcoin Twitter when it broke, um, when you just kind of cut through all the noise, you, you don't really have to be a genius to have good security. Um, a lot of people react to the fact that, oh my gosh, this guy's been doing Bitcoin for all this time. Well, just because you're smart <clears throat> doesn't mean, you know, you always have common sense. And so, um, again, don't have to be a genius. You just need common sense. And and you, you would if you apply that common sense like you would to anything val- of value that you physically put in your possession, you should be fine. So... Some of the key things that I've learned and implemented myself is number one, use an offline hardware wallet, um, you know, to store your Bitcoin. Um, I like the term signing device because I think that's a little bit more of an accurate uh, way of describing it. Um, keep your private key written on a piece of paper or in a metal seed plate and keep it stored in a safe location that's physically separate from the signing device. Uh, don't store your private key on your phone or online anywhere. Physical is best. Um, if you have a large amount of Bitcoin, I would consider a multi-signature collaborative custody solution. Um, I use Unchained Capital, but there are others out there. It's significantly harder to compromise than a single signature. And in the event one of your keys is compromised for any reason, you could still move your coins because it's two out of three. If you collaborative if you use collaborative custody, the two of the three keys required to move your coins, you will need two signing devices and you need to make sure you keep the private keys and the signing devices in ideally four separate locations to enhance your security. I think working with a good Bitcoin native collaborative custody provider has other benefits, including continuing education. A lot of them offer off-platform multi-signature wallet recovery. Um, which is really important um, because, you know, if, the, if their site goes down, they go out of business or whatever, you, you have to be able to recover your multi-sig wallet and be able to move your coins. Um, and Unchained Custody actually has an open source uh, um, tool for that that uh, they actually provide training on. and You can download your uh, public keys to it and then you can restore your wallet um, anytime, anywhere. Uh, They also do key checks, which helps you make sure that your signing devices are valid and still functioning, which is is really good. And then um, also they offer other financial services, Bitcoin purchases, uh, loan, you know, direct into your your, um, multi-sig wallet or loans uh, in the future if you don't want to sell your Bitcoin and need cash. Uh, So those are all good reasons to to work with... uh, uh, with a collaborative custody provider. Okay, well, that wraps it up. Uh, Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow my substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com and you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Nick Reichert. I will talk to you all next week. Bye for now.